All right, today we're in Proverbs chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Uh, Again, Proverbs is a very unique book, so we're going to preach out of the book of Proverbs unlike we preach any, really any other book in the Bible, okay? So very thematic, okay? Uh, we've tried to hit some big sections so far. You know, last week we had the, had the privilege of, of there being three chapters that were all about sex, marriage, and adultery, okay? Uh, but today, uh, it's more scattered out. It's actually scattered throughout the whole book of Proverbs. And, and we're going to look at, at this, this issue, this, this theme uh, that, that the writer of Proverbs describes as the sluggard, Okay? So I'm going to read uh, Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. This passage is dedicated to my dad uh, because he woke me with these verses most every morning. All right? So I have them ingrained deeply in me. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider your ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would guide us through this text this morning. Father, we, as always, God, we need your help. We need the power and the teaching and the instruction and the conviction and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we need you to make our hearts tender. God, make us tender to the word. Make us receptive to the word. I pray that we might receive your truth today with meekness, that we might receive it with uh, obedient hearts, with hearts ready to act. Father, give give us action, Father. God, we ask that you would work in us today, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so the, the writer of Proverbs is really pushing it with this subject, okay? Uh, I, I really think that, I mean, last week was incredibly direct, was it not, about sex, marriage, and adultery? But, but the writer of Proverbs is pushing it in, in a different way in this, in that I, I can't think of another theme that he, he has more, a more biting tone with than that with the sluggard. It, it almost seems many times, and I think it's probably true, that he has a bit of sarcasm, a bit of uh, uh, lots of humor that, that's meant to kind of be biting, and it's, and it's really interesting because across our culture, this is a subject that is very offendable, okay? Now, what I mean by that is, so the, the first week in Proverbs, we looked at the fear of the Lord. Let, let me tell you, there are many people in our culture who will mock God openly. Who, 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 it's not a big deal at all for them to say, yeah, I don't fear God. I mean, you have lots of those folks in the United States of America. Um, we, we talked about sexual morality, sex, marriage, and, and adultery last week. Hey, there, there are large pockets of people in America today for whom it is not a big deal to, to be known as immoral, to be known as sexually immoral or sexually liberated or whatever you want to call it. So in other words, there's lots of people who, who would not have a problem at all with, with, with Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. They, they would just blow it off. Um, another theme we're going to look at here uh, throughout this, this study in the book of Proverbs is, is, is words, the words that you use. There are people that make their living uh, basically disobeying pro- what Proverbs says about words. <laughs> there are folks that make their living in, in being sharp and, and cutting and, and ruthless with the words that they speak. And so what I'm telling you is, a lot of these themes, when you just take, take the word of God out into the culture, the culture's like, hey, we don't care. We don't care what that says, okay? But here's what I've found. 
nobody likes to be called lazy. <laughs> like, I mean, that's almost universal. Like, in our culture, that's the thing that transcends across. And, and nobody likes to be seen as or to be thought of as lazy. And most often, everybody. I don't think I've ever met anybody who, who would not defend their reputation of diligence, okay? I don't, I don't care who they are. I don't care what station of life. I don't care if they're, 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 they're homeless or they're, they're, um, they've been out of work or, or what, whatever the situation. No, nobody likes to be think, thought of as being not diligent, okay? Now, what we see quickly in the book of Proverbs is that hard work is a necessary virtue in all of life, okay? I, I'm going to divide it up today. Uh, we're going to talk about regular life, what I would call regular life, and I'll define that here in a little bit, uh, your personal life, your uh your occupational life, your home life, your educational life, and then I'm going to talk about your spiritual life, okay? But I really think Proverbs doesn't make that distinction. I, I, I think Proverbs just across the board is just saying hard work is a necessary virtue in all of your life, in everything. Everything you do, hard work is a necessary virtue. And there's this reality that hard work has got to be done in order to reap blessing, in order, in order to live a life that is flourishing, okay? So you're going to see that over and over, over again on this theme in Proverbs is that Hard work leads to blessing and flourishing, okay? A life that, that flourishes, a life that, that is, is prosperous, a life that is satisfying, a life that is meaningful, okay? You're going to find that in Proverbs, all right? Work itself, according to the Bible, is, is, work itself is not bad. So, so a lot of people talk about work as if it is this kind of punishment of God because we didn't believe him because because of the fall but that's actually not true okay uh, the the Adam and Eve were working before they disobeyed God Adam and Eve were already put to work in the garden before the the advice of the serpent came to them and they they, they trusted a snake over over trusting God and, and I don't think a lot of people realize that because they'll talk about work as if it's some kind of disease that we hope someday to be cured of, you know? Like, I hope someday to not have to work. And, and, and that's just not a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, God works, okay? So God is a worker. So six days in the creative uh, narrative in the, in the book of Genesis, God applies his creative efforts in the, in the shaping a masterpiece of incomparable splendor of the world. And then on the seventh day, he rested. So you have, you have God right away. First thing in the Bible, you got him working and resting, okay? When Adam and Eve are placed in the garden paradise, they're given a responsibility. They're supposed to take care of the garden. God gives them responsibility. God tells Adam, he's going to name all the animals. He's going to be in charge of the garden. He's going to till it. He's going to control it. He's going He's going to make it beautiful, okay? So, so this was all before sin, all before unbelief, all before the, the consequences of sin happen. And so to work, to produce, to create, to, to cultivate, to grow, to invest is to image forth God. In other words, that's a God-type quality. And according to the New Testament, actually, you're never just working for an old company. According to, according to Paul's writings in the New Testament, you are never simply employed by Walmart or the government or the school system or, or a small business owner. That, that is never the case as a Christian. In fact, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Okay, he says, hey, you're, you're really never working for men. Your work is always before the Lord. It's always an expression unto the Lord, okay? He says, don't, don't work hardly. 
Not, not just for men, but as to the Lord. And he says, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so there, there you have that principle again that hard work brings about this, this reward, this blessing, this virtue, uh, this life of flourishing. And, and it's promised not, not, not by Walmart or not by the government or not by an old company or whoever you work for. Maybe you work for yourself. It's not promised by them. It's promised by the Lord. He says, the Lord will, re- will reward you. In other words, God is in the middle of this. So, so in order to flourish, in order to reap blessing, we got to work hard. We've got to invest and manage and create and restore and produce and, and equipment has to be maintained and repaired and the house has to be cleaned and organized and the bills need to be paid and the laundry needs to be done and meals prepared and the children need to be taught and educated and nurtured. And, 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 and here's, here's the deal about the fall. Okay, so, so there was work before Adam and Eve fell into sin, but once Adam and Eve fell into sin, then everything got harder, okay? So in chapter 3, verse 17 through uh, 19, you have the effects of the fall. And let me just, just read a brief passage here. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of the face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's work before the fall, but once the fall comes, everything gets harder, right? Like everything's working against you. Everything, there's an element of frustration and difficulty and, and, and almost like, like it's all trying not to work, right? Because it's broken, and so you're dealing with a broken world world now. All right, so 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 you, in all of life we must work in order to flourish. We must work hard, okay? But particularly in your Christian life. That that's really what I want to take you today. Um, I, I want us to look at both and I think there's application for us as uh, both and hopefully we'll be obedient in both. But but I want you to understand there is work in your Christian life. In order to flourish as a believer, you must work hard. Okay, now now be careful, okay? We're, 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 we're notoriously scared of saying what I just said, right? Because we don't want anybody to fall into false doctrine in, in, in thinking, okay, is he saying that we work for our salvation? In other words, your salvation out here, well, I got, I, got to, I got to do these 10 things in order to get there, you know, in order to get that. Absolutely, we're never saying that. That is not the gospel, okay? You cannot earn your way to heaven. You, it's not a wage. You can't do these 20 things and do them real hard and, and work your way into being justified. That will never happen. You can't, you can't bridge that chasm. It's like trying to jump the Grand Canyon. You can give it your best shot, but you're just going to hit hard at the bottom, right? And, and actually, that's probably not even a good illustration. A better illustration would be if I were in a terrible accident and was a paraplegic and then tried to jump the Grand Canyon, okay? Because we're broken in our sin. We're etern- internally busted inside of ourselves. And, and so we cannot, we cannot work our way into heaven, okay? We can't work our way into being justified. It's only through Jesus' work. That's the beauty of the gospel. If you don't know the gospel this morning, this is it. It's through Jesus' work, right? He lived the perfect life. He obeyed God. He was always believing. He was pleasing to God in every way. And I can be joined to his work through repentance and faith in him so that I receive his righteousness. I'm justified by his life. Okay, but having said all that, you know what You know what Ephesians tells us? Ephesians tells us that once you are a believer, God's got work for you to do, okay? So, so Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace you've been saved through faith. That's just what we talked about. It's not your own effort. By grace you've been saved through faith, not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, not of works, okay? Lest we should boast. But then you know what verse 10 says? Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? So you can't get to Christ by your works. But once, once you are a believer, God has things for you to do. He's got work for you to do, okay? And, 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 and the Christian life is going to be those works. It's going to be done by faith. It's going to be done by, depends on the Holy Spirit and by believing and acting. But there is acting in the Christian life. I mean, that, that's what, that's what you, you, we, we, we've got to embrace is living as a Christian is tangible, practical, visible effort, okay? And, and, and it's hard. So I, I, I love some, some of these verses in the New Testament about, about our salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, Work it out with fear and trembling. Okay, but then, then it comes back and, and says, For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, these are some of my, my favorite verses about ministry. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Here's what Paul says. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul says, man, this work of ministry, this work of, of the Christian life, it, it, there's affliction in it, there's suffering in it, and I'm, I'm filling up what is needed in order to advance the gospel. And he goes on in the same chapter in verse 29, says, for to this I toil. Toil is a word mean, that means to work toward exhaustion. I toil, struggling with all his energy. There it is again, all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Romans 8, 13 says, you gotta put to death what is earthly in you? Ephesians 6 says we're going to wrestle against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. 2 Timothy says you're to endure hardship as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. So what I'm saying is all through the New Testament, the, the, the images that we're given is that the Christian life demands hard work. It demands effort. It demands action. All right? And so, so yes, you must respond with work as a Christian. By, by turning from your sin, trusting Jesus, knowing God. You know, it's work to know God. It, it is. It's work to know him. It, it, it's, it's work to, to love him. It's work to love others with the love of God. You know, hospitality is work. Meals are work. Visits are work. Rides are work. You know, good works are, are, are they, it's all work. Being sanctified, acting upon God's word, sowing seeds of the gospel in your family and friends, discipling your kids is work. It's work, it's effort, it's hard. Everything's working against you. Have you noticed that? Even in that little illustration? That's a great illustration, actually. Discipling your kids, you know, you see the fall. You see Genesis 3. You know, he tells Adam, he says, man, from now on, thorns, and you're gonna plant, and it's gonna grow weeds, you know? And you're gonna, you're gonna have to pull them, you're gonna have to cultivate them. In other words, it's gonna work against you. And when you're trying to disciple your kids, what do you find? Every unreasonable excuse known to man, you know, rather than just please listen to this Bible story, you know. The turtles need fed, you know. Oh, there's a frog and another frog. Yeah, this probably didn't happen to your house. It happens to our house. I mean, I'm just going through last night, you know. I need a drink. I got to pee. I got to, you know, it's everything, you know. It's all, it's like thorns and thistles, man. It's, it's, it's work, okay. It's all work. Cultivating spiritual friendships, it always amazes me that people will become a Christian and, and they'll be like, oh, you know what, this sermon on Christ and relationships. And then people will come back like, hey, dude, you missed it. You know, what you don't get is that, you know, I, 
man, I don't have any friends. And, and, you know, I tried a small group once. I felt a little uncomfortable, a little just, I don't know what it was. Something about them beanie weenies didn't sit right. And I got out of there, you know. So now what, Pastor? Where are these spiritual friends you talked about, you know? It takes work. It takes effort. Christ in relationships takes effort and work. And it's difficult, and everything works against you, okay? So you, so you have this universal principle in the book of Proverbs that labor equals reward. It equals fruit. It equals harvest and blessing and flourishing. And, and the same, on the other side of that, you have no labor, okay? So lack of effort produces lack. No harvest. No return. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. This is one we're going to use over and over again. Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. All right, now that's super obvious from an agricultural perspective, right? Like we live sort of in an agricultural area. My dad is, is harvesting wheat right now. He's harvesting his crop right now. I talked to him this morning about it. But it's super obvious in agriculture, right? If you don't go out in September and plant any wheat, you know, you're, you're sort of a fool to drive your combine to the field in June, okay? Like if you didn't plant any, you know, if you didn't do the work to, in, in the autumn and the fall to plant your crop, to cultivate the soil, to put it in there, if you didn't do that work, then don't show up in June. There's nothing there, right? Like that's, that's, the, that's the obvious thing. But he says the slugger doesn't get that. Like in the same way, man, if you, if, you don't, if you don't have a prayer life, then you shouldn't expect a harvest. If, you, if you're not dived into the word, if you're not discipling your kids, I mean, don't expect a harvest when there has not been labor. And that, that's the point of this, this, this teaching on the sluggard in, in the book of Proverbs. If you don't cultivate your soul, no work equals no harvest. Okay, now one of the other things you're going to see in the book of Proverbs is that, that there's a season for labor. Okay, and again, we all know that, right? From an agricultural perspective, that, that makes a ton of sense, that there's a season for labor, right? So if in September you're like, you know what, I just don't feel like planting my wheat, you know? I just don't feel like it, you know, I'm just not feeling it, you know? Uh, we've got a lot of things going to busy, sports season, you know? I'm just, I'm not, ah, you know, we can do that later, you know? And you wait until January, you know, and uh, there's, there, you know, three foot of snow on the ground and the ground is frozen, you're like, hey, Today's a good day, right? I mean, it doesn't work that way, right? Like, you missed your opportunity. Like, you, you, may, you may come and say, man, I really regret not planting in September. Well, you may regret it, but it's too late. Right? There's this element of, 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 of if you only have a, a certain window of opportunity, that's really what the book of Proverbs 20, verse 4, the verse we just read, is saying. It, it, it's saying the slugger does not plow in autumn. He'll seek harvest and have nothing. Okay, so you missed your window of opportunity. And, and in the same way, all labor really has a season. There's, there's a time to plant. And there's a time to harvest. And so let's play that out in a different scenario, okay? And this is going to be one that stings. But as I was reading a Spurgeon sermon, he did it like three times as hard as I'm going to do it. And so I feel like I'm okay, all right? Because uh, like when he did it, I was like, wow, like, like I'm not going to say that, Spurgeon, you know. Uh, but he was just brutal in this. But let, let's just play this out in a nicer way, okay? So what about the man or woman who neglects to speak the gospel to their children and the season passes? Okay, now, now what do I mean by the season passes? Well, it, it could just mean, you know, you, you have an opportunity when they're more 
moldable to your word? You have an opportunity when they are more receptive to your truth? You have an opportunity when they're, when they're more available to, you, to your discipling? And then at some point, that opportunity gets less and less. You know, two of my kids live a long, long way away. One of my kids lives on literally the other side of the earth, okay? And so there's, there's a, a reality in which there's a season that passes in, in your ability to disciple your kids. But then there's also, you know, things that happen where, where, where hardness of heart happens. Maybe they turn a different direction. They just don't want to hear it anymore. There's even, there's even at some point your death or their death, but the season ends. And, and, and in sluggardly action can bring about a costly lack. In other words, if you don't plant, if you didn't, if you didn't sow the seeds of the gospel in the season that you were given, then there'll be a lack. Now here, here's, here's why I didn't do it as hard as Spurgeon. Because I really feel like whenever I say something like that, the vast majority of people only want to apply it backwards, okay? And I think applying things backwards does not have a fruitful return. Now, what do I mean by applying it backwards? A lot of times when, you, when, when we give a hard word like that, like, hey, you've got a season to do this, and if you don't do it, I mean, God, God can be gracious, and he is so often, right? But, it, but, but, it, but your labor is, is lost there, okay? Now, the only way that a lot of people want to apply that is backward. And, and so what they'll do is they'll look back and say, ah, oh, I've missed it. I've missed it. I missed it, and I'm so sad about that, and I'm so upset about that. And God, now I'm angry at you about that. And, and I'm so angry at you that now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss more. <laughs> Does that make sense? Hey, Here's what Paul says, for getting those things which are behind, I press forward to things that are ahead. Whenever you're applying the scripture, it's always forward, okay? So, so you're like, well, what about, no, let's just not talk about it. It's done. It's done. One, one, of, the, one of the quotes in my Bible that I bring out almost every week to people is by K. Mansfield. I have no idea who they were. I heard John Piper said it, but it said, it said persistent regret is an appalling waste of energy. Okay, so, so don't, don't go backwards with that, all right? So you missed a season, I'm sorry, and you're sorry, but you know what? Today is where we want to apply the Word of God, all right? So, so what that ought to prompt us to do, what the words to the sluggard ought to prompt us to do this morning is to apply it forward, to apply it now. Like, who do you have influence over now? Who should you be sowing the seed of the gospel in right now? That's what matters, to look back and, and to and to persistently regret that is not profitable. What's profitable is to hear the word of God and say, I'm going to plant right now. That's what's profitable. So what does the proverb, what does the writer of Proverbs say? He says you should go buy an ant farm, okay? That's exactly what he says. So, so he, he's telling his son, remember this is a father teaches son, he's saying, son, you need to go watch the ants, all right? You need to go look at them. You need to, you know, instead of trying to burn them up with a magnifying glass and put firecrackers in there, you, you just need to watch them, you know? But even that is actually interesting. You, you mess that deal all the way up, can't you? And man, you know, just blow them up and, and all kinds of stuff. You know what they do? They start rebuilding, right? Like, like, have you ever seen an ant just like go like this? You know, you just blew up his hole with a firecracker and you, you know, poured gas and lit it. And, you know, have you ever seen one just be like, I don't know, you know, I'm just quitting, you know? Never, man. They're just like, well, that happens. You know, there they go, right? And he says, man, go, go buy an ant farm, son. And he says, go to the ant, old sluggard, consider her ways and get some wisdom. Man, watch the ant. 
Think about the end and get some wisdom. One of the things he says about the end, I really like this. He says, without any chief, having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers food and harvest. I, I don't know if you've ever seen Bug's Life, but Bug's Life gets this all wrong. Like they've got like, like a, you know, the queen is just like being fanned. You know, she's just like watching over everything. And then they've got some taskmasters. They've got the, got the horns, you know. Actually, if you've ever watched ants, they don't have that. You know, there is no ant with a little whip, you know. Come on. You know, they're just all doing their stuff, aren't they? They're just going. They're just following each other. You, you mess up their little trail. They're just trying to find it, trying to find it. They make another way around. There they go. You know, they've got this inner drive. There it is. They've got this inner drive to work. Actually, the Bible says you should not be a person that has to be made to do hard things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, you shouldn't be the kind of person that only works hard when someone's watching you, when someone in authority is watching you, when someone is threatening you with taking your pay or robbing you of your bonus, and that's the only thing that will get you motivated. You ought to have an inner motivation to work. You ought to have an inner motivation to take action. You know, what is that inner motivation for us? Man, faith. Is it not faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in the harvest. I mean, we're, we're going to look at a verse here in a minute. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not grow weary in doing good for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. Like there's this, there's this faith element to believers that says, man, you, you should give great effort to this because God is promising a harvest. I think of that verse, it's not up there. Brian, don't look for it. But 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, uh, um, I can't get the first of it. One moment, please. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. I, I can't tell you how awesome that verse is. Knowing that in the Lord, like you can know this, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Like, like that's, that's your inner motivation. You don't, need, you don't need a taskmaster behind you whipping you up. You don't need someone throwing you out of bed in the morning and putting the Bible in front of you and saying, read, boy, read. You, know, you don't need that. You, you ought to have this inner motivation, this, this motivation of faith that says, man, God promises a harvest here. Man, his Holy Spirit empowers me. There's this urgency of the moment that he's returning. And I believe all those things. So I'm going to give effort. All that should be an inner motivation. And we should just give up this. Man, it's in all of us. Again, not one of us is going to say that it's in us. But man, it's in us. We should give up this fantasy of an easy, comfortable life that is satisfying and fruitful. I don't believe it exists. But we all want it, don't we? The real danger is that we, we grow weary when we take our eyes off the harvest. Man, look for the harvest. So the characteristic of the sluggard is that he doesn't act, okay? He doesn't do the hard work that would bring the harvest and blessing. Now, why doesn't he act, Okay? Again, we're just, we're just jumping over a bunch of these, okay? So I'm, I'm just going to go quickly here. Why doesn't he act? I don't know how to describe this other than, than I just start talking about it. There's something that I see in my life, and there's something I see in the, in the book of Proverbs that, that really describes the seductiveness of inactivity, okay? So in other words, inactivity draws you in. It promises you this thing that actually doesn't 
it doesn't satisfy, okay? Um, Proverbs 19, 15, and then we'll come back to 6, but Proverbs 19, 15 says, slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, okay? So in other words, it, 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 it kind of traps you, and an idle person will suffer hunger, okay? Now, now notice, this is the verse that my dad quoted to me, by the way, when I was growing up, verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You know what, you know what the key word, I think, in those verses are? Little, right? Like, like it baits us with, oh, just, just, just rest a little, just Take it easy a little. You don't need to read your Bible this morning, man. Yet you, you listened to that dude preach for 45 minutes yesterday. I mean, that's enough, you know? Like, like a little, just, just but, but a little turns into a lot. So a little is, is a, describing a person who has good intentions. Let me, let me put it this way. This is what makes perfect sense to me, all right? So you commit to pray. Right? You're like, man, I need to carve out time to pray. I need to carve out time to call on the Lord to ask him for great things. And so you're like, I'm 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 getting up early tomorrow morning. I'm getting up early tomorrow morning. And I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna get up 30 minutes early and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend that time just meeting with God. Man, there'll be a harvest for that. Awesome, right? And then what happens? The alarm goes off and <clears throat> some sluggard, I don't know when, but in this century, some sluggard invented a thing called what? The snooze button, you know? I, I actually, like, like if, if, if Solomon were writing the book of Proverbs today, I'm convinced he would have something about the snooze button. I, I really, like, I'm almost sure about it. I think the only reason he didn't, because it wasn't invented yet, okay? Like, you, you couldn't, like, you know, tap the rooster and he stopped, you know, crowing for 10 minutes. I, you know, so he didn't have that, right? But the snooze button is essentially the message of the book of Proverbs on the sluggard. So what, what, what do you, when it goes off, what do you say? I just need a little more, right? And then this never happened to any of you guys but me, I know. But like a little more leads to another little and another little and another. And then all of a sudden, I got to get to work, right? Like, what happened? You lost your harvest. That's exactly what he's saying. So, so there's this seductiveness. And, and man, how many of you guys are driving to work and you're like, ah, I didn't want to pray anyway? No. Like, it's, it's always a regretful. We always lose out, don't we? Don't we? But, but it's, it's seductive. It promises something that actually doesn't come true. Second of all, why, why, why does a sluggard not act? Because he's got a lot of great excuses, okay? Um, this is one of those where he's obviously being sarcastic, Okay. So we don't appreciate Solomon, or the writer of Proverbs. This isn't Solomon, I don't think, at the end, but whoever wrote this laughing at us like this. But he says in verse 13 of chapter 26, Proverbs 26, 13, he says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets, okay? So in other words, man, I can't go outside, there's a lion out there, you know? It's too dangerous, right? Now, obviously, he is, he's being sarcastic here, right? Um, but what he's saying is, here's what the sluggard does, the sluggard has all kind of compelling reasons why he can't do what he should be doing. Um, hey, and let me tell you, a lion in the streets is an absolutely compelling reason, you know? 
Like if, if I'm up here preaching and I can see what happened is happening outside there, and if I see a big lion walk by out there, I'm telling all y'all, don't go outside, right? Like, like that's a compelling reason, okay? But, but obviously in the book, he's using it as an excuse, okay? Now, now here's, here's the thing that, that, that you need to understand about us is whatever our heart doesn't want to do, our heart is really good at using the mind to create really compelling reasons for why we shouldn't do that. Man, we're, we're brilliant at this. We are, we are sinfully brilliant at this, okay? I, I can't tell you the excuses, the brilliant excuses I've heard of why people can't go to church, why they can't gather with believers, why, why they aren't in a Bible study, why they don't share their faith. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely compelling and brilliant, okay? But what it is is our sinful heart that doesn't want to act uses our mind to create these compelling reasons. Like, I, I don't think this guy is lying here. I, I think he really believes, man, I can't go out there, you know? I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to be on the tractor right now, but I can't get there because of this reason. There, there's an interesting verse in Ephesians that kind of describes this whole, whole connection between our mind and our heart. Ephesians 4, 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That's interesting. Okay, can I keep watching? Keep reading. Futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Okay, where does that come from, Paul? The futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding. Where does that come from, Paul? Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to, isn't that interesting, the hardness of their heart. You see, the heart, the hardness of heart. In other words, the heart, I, I don't, I don't want to do this, God. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a disciple maker. I don't want to go on a mission trip. That's another one. I've, I've heard incredibly compelling reasons for why people can't go on mission. But, but where does that stem from? Well, it stems from a heart that just doesn't want to do it. And so the heart employs the mind to create some really compelling reasons of why I can't do what God has commanded me to do. Next. Oh, well, ah, mm, okay. One more thought on that. Uh, Proverbs 26, 16. Um, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So here's what I've found about this. Unless there's a heart change, you get seven really smart guys lined up to give great arguments about why you should act, and you won't believe them. <laughs> you know, because, again, it's, it's a heart issue. The heart, if the heart is hard, it engages the mind to create these walls about why I'm, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Man, we see this all the time. Uh, counseling folks in, in, in our benevolence ministry. It's like, man, this is the way out. Right here it is, man. Step one, step two, step three. No, da, 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 hold on, you know. Let me give you the, the 12 reasons, Pastor, why that will not work. Thirdly, the slugger prefer, prefers shortcuts, get-rich-quick schemes, and meaningless games to hard labor. Proverbs chapter 12 Proverbs 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I don't know how your Bible translates worthless pursuits. Some, some of them put empty pursuits. Some of them put, you know, fantasies, I think was one translation I read. 
Um, Proverbs 13, 4 says the sluggard craves. He, he wants the right thing, but, but, he, but he can't get it because he's, he's not producing. Proverbs 14, 23 talks about the sluggard has lots of talk, but no action. Uh, Got to get going quick here. Um, the end, the sluggard won't even, in the end, the sluggard won't even follow through on things that are good for him. Um, Proverbs 19, 24 talks about he puts his hand in the dish, but he can't even bring it to his mouth. That, that's the end of this. Now, the result of living as a sluggard is a couple things, Okay. Number one, evil always comes with neglect. Okay, now turn to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 gives the picture of this vineyard, okay? This guy, he walks upon a, a somebody's vineyard, okay? Um, Proverbs 24, verse 30. I think this guy walked past my yard at some point, maybe. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He, here's, here's the thing about not taking action. Okay, so when you don't, when you don't do the right thing, it's not as if things just stay neutral, okay? I wish they did, but they won't. And the reason they won't is because we're broken internally, right? We have this, we have this sin nature within us. And so to not be pressing hard in the right way is not to stay neutral, but it's really to allow sin to creep in. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, neglect is all that is needed to produce evil, okay? Neglect is all that is needed to produce evil. In other words, a slugger does... He does nothing to cultivate the vineyard of his soul, but that doesn't mean that nothing's growing in there, okay? So, so if, if you just don't take care of a portion of your yard, what happens? It's not as if the thing just freezes, right? You know, and it just stays exactly the same. That doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? If you don't actively take care of it, what, what happens? Weeds are gonna grow, right? Bad things, like it's gonna get out of control. And the same is true with your soul. If, if you're not pressing if you're not applying energy, if you're not doing the hard things to keep your soul, to cultivate your soul, then other things are going to grow. Discontent's going to grow. Pride's going to grow. Anger's going to grow. Bitterness is going to grow. The worst thing that's going to grow is a coldness toward God will grow. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but when you don't cultivate your soul, you know what happens? You stop wanting God. You stop being interested in God. That's the scariest thing. Next, the result of the life of the sluggard is that other people around you are affected. There's a couple verses I want to turn your attention to. First of all, Proverbs 10, 5. Proverbs 10, 5 says, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The, the guy that sleeps in harvest brings hardship upon his family, brings shame upon his family. And then probably my favorite one in this genre is Proverbs 10, 26. They're both in the same chapter here. Like vinegar to teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Okay, now you've probably maybe touched vinegar or drank it, or I hope you didn't just swig it, you know. But what, is, what does it do? What it, when, you, when you get vinegar on your tongue, what's it do? It makes you make weird faces, right? Like it's, it's, it's irritating. It's, you know, smoke in the eyes. You ever been starting a campfire and you get a big whiff of that? Man, it, it just, it, it's an irritant, right? And, and what he's saying is, is the person who does not do what they're supposed to do, the person who doesn't act, the person who doesn't take care of business, the person who doesn't work hard. Listen, we're all connected, like, like particularly in the church. 
Particularly in the church, we are all connected. Like we're all, we're doing the hard work of, of, of the kingdom of God together. And whenever we don't do the hard work of rooting sin out of our life, or whenever we don't do the hard work of putting to death our sinful desire, when we don't do the hard work of knowing God through the scriptures or being relentless to call on him in prayer, man, when, when, we, when we don't do that hard work, it affects other people as well. And, and when we don't do the hard work of ministry together, when we're not on mission together, when we don't reach our community together, whenever, whenever, we're, whenever there are folks in the kingdom who are not, not pressing in the kingdom, everybody's affected. That's what he's saying. Man, I, I wish that I had another half hour. If I did, I, I, would, I would want to talk to you about the balance of work and rest, okay? So if all you ever heard in the Bible was just this sermon, I... I I'm afraid you'd probably be a little unbalanced, okay? Because there are lots of other passages where, where the Bible talks about rest. And those, those two, honestly, they aren't in competition at all. I think they are in a lot of people's minds, but, but they actually aren't. So you take a guy like Jesus. It, Jesus acted in every way that he was supposed to act. And then there were times where he would disappear up onto the mountain and just spend time with God, refreshing his soul, Right? God creates for six days, and then what does God do? He rests. He rests. It says it. On the seventh day, God rests. Why? Is he tired? I actually don't think he's tired. I think he's laying a model for us of this beautiful balance between work and rest. There's actually, there's actually a prideful kind of work. There, there's a prideful kind of diligence. There's, there's this, this, this kind of prideful diligence that's like, man, I, I'm going to be the martyr. I'm going to work harder than everybody else. I'm going to make sure everybody in my office knows that I'm the one, you know. I'm the one that, that has accomplished all of this and is dragging your, your sorry, you know, sluggardish selves along in this company, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's actually not what the book of Proverbs is advocating, Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not advocating this prideful, sinful activity. There, there are folks that are just busy to be busy. You know, there's an interesting verse in 2 Thessalonians that says, you know, uh, it, it condemns those who are idle. It says they're not busy at work. They're busy bodies, you know. Like they're busy. They're just not busy doing the things that God's called them to do, right? So, like, like I don't know. If the sluggard lived today, like, he may be, you know, he may be at the top of the charts on Minecraft and... Uh, Fortnite, you know, like he's super busy. The dude's, you know, only getting two hours of sleep a day, you know, but he's not actually busy doing the thing that God's called him to do. So there's this, there's this balance. It's not just activity. It's not just, hey, let's all just be busy all the time. It's let's do the things that God has called us to do that are going to bring to harvest. And within that, there's a, an absolutely appropriate time for being able to step back and say, okay, now I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest. I can rest. You know why? Because God's in control. I can rest. You know why? Because, because, I can be dependent on God that he's the one that's working. And I, I can just trust him. And so there's this beautiful balance in the scriptures that I wish we had time to unpack this morning. Guys, let's act. I, I, think, I think the final thing I just leave you with is, is trusting the Holy Spirit's been working on you like he's been working on me. What, what's the thing that you need to act on? Uh, you need to stop making excuses for. You need to stop, stop being drawn into, hey, in a while, in just a little while. What, what's the thing that, that God has called you to act upon and you just have not done it? There's a season for that. If he's still prompting you, then you're still in the season. So act on it today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would um, move our hearts, God. We ask that you would compel us this morning with the beauty of Christ and the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ that is within us, God. 
just compel us through, through the promise of the harvest, through the promise of, of your second coming and the urgency of, of all of this being wrapped up. God, give us an inner motivation to work, to, to work for the kingdom, to work for blessing. Father, move us this morning. Put your finger on the thing that we need to respond to today in obedience. And I pray, God, that we would. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.